Welcome to Timberline Windsor. Thanks for joining us this weekend. We are a church family that strives to let love live in every facet of our lives. We at Timberline Windsor desire everyone, every man, woman, and child that calls this church family home to be a part of Connections. To join one today, visit our website or download the Timberline app. Enjoy today's message. All right, we are diving right into where we left off. Everything is fast-paced, minute by minute, moment by moment here in Mark at the end of the gospel. So we're in chapter 14, picking up with verse 53. So all of Jesus's disciples, they fled him. The time for the public and free ministry of Jesus is over. He's in their hands now. And that's where we pick up verse 53. And they led Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests and all the elders and the scribes came together. Now, quick note on that. Don't picture this as a public mob. This is happening in the dead of night. They didn't want anybody else to be a part of what they were trying to do under the cover of darkness and in secret. Verse 54, and Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest and he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now, Peter's involvement here, that's the last we're gonna hear about him for this weekend. You're gonna hear a lot about him next weekend when Pastor Brent picks up the next part of this uh, enveloping story. But, but for today, Peter's inclusion here, the mention of him, is, is kind of like taking place with this simultaneous chronological inclusion. Basically, here's what Peter was doing while all of this happens with Jesus. Now, that's all because Peter was a point source for Mark's gospel. Peter was the one telling Mark what happened and when because Mark was not the, the author of this gospel. Mark was not one of the original 12 apostles. But throughout his gospel, we've in, encountered his account can only come from one that was there, one of the 12. Only one of the 12 could have provided the kind of intimate details that Mark shares with us. And later, uh, within about 100 years of Mark writing his gospel, an early church writer named Papias tells us that Mark's source for his gospel is none other than the apostle Peter. In other words, I want us to envision this. Peter isn't writing this gospel, but Peter is the one that is sharing with Mark all the intimate details. As Mark is writing this account of Jesus being in the hands of the high priests, Peter's the one that says, and don't forget to mention that, that I was there. I was following him at a distance. Kind of this half in, half out devotion. This is Peter's humble way of admitting, I wasn't there for Jesus when I needed to be. I was the one on the outskirts. And we're gonna see and encounter a lot more about that next week. But listen, if the Bible was just full of a collection of puffed up righteous people, people that lived the kind of life that you and I could never relate to, then you wouldn't have details like this in here. This book and this church is full of people just like you. If you're someone that's had mess ups or hang ups, if you've blown it, if there's something in your life that you just wish you could take back, but you can't, 
If that describes you at all, this book and this church is just like you. Peter, the rock upon which Jesus will build his church, he's just like you. So hold on to these these verses like this that remind us that the Bible is full of a lot of screw-ups. And that's where I find I belong. And I bet it's true for you too. Be welcome here. You belong here. I'm a pretty terrible actor, if I do say so myself. My wife, on the other hand, she's quite a bit better at acting, playing a role than I am. And our kids recently tried out for a a play at Windsor Middle School and they got a couple of great roles. So fortunately for them, they take more after their mom in this account than than their dad. So congratulations, good for them. Um, And I've tried my hand at acting, at playing a part. Uh, You heard Chris talk about Celebrate Volunteers about five years ago or so, we put on Celebrate Volunteers at the Fort Collins campus and we did a murder mystery. And different pastors on staff were cast as playing different roles and I was playing the role as the murderer in the murder mystery. Spoiler alert, it was five years ago. Doesn't really impact your life right now. But I was was playing the role of the murderer and uh, the funnest part, I think for a lot of people, was how not convincing of an actor I was and how poorly I was at playing a role. I can't tell you how many of you people came up to me afterwards and said, Pastor, don't quit your day job. And I'd be offended at that if I didn't actually wholeheartedly agree with it. So Timberline, for my acting inadequacies, you're welcome as a form of entertainment. But why, why is acting playing a role so hard for some of us? It can be really hard for us to, to pretend to be someone else. And I know that there's good aspects of acting where, where we're putting ourselves in other people's shoes and seeing how they would think, feel. But I, I'm just saying acting, playing a role can be hard for some of us. Hard to catch their motives and their, their mannerisms and their accents. How much harder is it to play God? How much harder is it to play the role of God? But people do it all the time and people in this passage, that's what they're gonna be trying to do. So let's see if they're any more convincing in their acting than I was. We're gonna pick up verse 55 and then I'm just gonna read it all the way through the rest of this passage. Just powerful stuff going on here. Verse 55. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. And many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him saying, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. 
And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. So this response of Jesus, the son of man, is not merely just someone standing in the midst of a very tense religious encounter in the most holy space, holy religious space, and taking a stand. This is someone standing in that most holy space declaring, I am the judgment of God. Rejecting me is rejecting and receiving the judgment of God. This is something we've encountered before in this series. You encounter the son of God term and picture 73 times throughout the gospels. You can also encounter it if you're reading Daniel or the book of Revelation. The son of God, God coming on the thunder clouds, the storm riding God, it's this biblical image of the divine deliverance of judgment. And Jesus is saying, that's me. That's me. That's Jesus's response to the high priest's direct question. It's almost like all the other questions and slanders and gossip that, that people were claiming against Jesus, he waited patiently through all of that to hear the one question he intended on answering. I find it fascinating. It's not the people's testimony that leads to Jesus's death. They had tried to kill him by their testimony. They couldn't do it. It's Jesus's own words about himself that get him killed. Elsewhere, John 10, 30, Jesus is recalled as stating clearly, I and the Father are one, meaning equality and unity. These and many, many more proofs, they're, they're not uncommon in in the Gospels, are not some offhand remarks from a wild minded guy just getting carried away. That'd be Peter's job. That'd be Mel's job. <laughs> These are the carefully recalled statements from Jesus's firsthand followers who remained his followers of his clear claims of divinity. And as if all that were not enough, Jesus makes rejection of his identity and his mission equal with rejection of God Almighty. It's not about people's testimonies and experiences about him. It's about you either receive me as I am or you receive the divine judgment of God, your call. I am telling you, right now you are receiving me as one to be betrayed and mocked and rejected, but you will see me coming as the divine judgment of God. And for those of you sitting there going, squirming in your seats a little bit going, man, Pastor John, couldn't you have picked a, a lighter passage this weekend? Feels pretty heavy. Well, yes, I could. But one, I wouldn't be doing my job. And two, it's still in here anyway. I know we don't like the concept of, of judgment or exclusivity when it comes to religion. But if we're gonna learn anything from these people in this account, both imperfect disciples, flaky disciples, and also rejecting, refusing religious leaders, people on both sides that tried to change 
who Jesus was into something that was more acceptable for them. If we're gonna learn anything from that, it's that we need to take Jesus for who he is, not just who we want him to be. We're gonna have to let Jesus be Jesus. We're gonna have to let Jesus be the only one that can play God because he really was. All of this, all of the messaging, discipling, good news spreading, even judgment issuing from the heart of Jesus, it's reflective of the perfect heart of God. And I want us to see how this talk about judgment and rejection is nowhere inconsistent with other aspects of the gospel. Let's try this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And I feel a sigh coming over the church family. It's like, ah. That's the gospel that I know and remember and feel good with. Just, just stay there for a bit, would you, pastor? Yeah, that's John 3.16 and John 3.17. Totally glorious and right standing for its familiarity and popularity. And then let's continue one verse more as Jesus keeps talking, John 3.18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. The time has come. The message of salvation has been given over and over and over to people throughout history. Salvation is in Jesus alone and not as a great leader or an influential teacher, a this or that binary response to Jesus. Do I accept salvation through Jesus or do I not? No more disciple training, no more complex teaching, no more direct demonstrations of the kingdom are left in his earthly life, not in the same way at least. Jesus is ready to state his messiahship clearly and boldly. It's time for you to decide about me. Either I really am who I say I am or I'm not. It's Jesus's words, not the demon's words that we've heard before or the religious leader's words here, but Jesus' words about himself that end up being the most dangerous testimony of all. These are my claims of who I am. Take it or leave it. And they only kill him because they can't accept that who he claims to be can possibly be who he is. He's gotta be a liar. He's gotta be demon possessed. We've gotta shut him up. And it makes me wonder, what more proof would these religious leaders need to know that Jesus really is who he said he was? They have all the miracle workings. They have all the claims, the love of God. It's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. They had all of that in the flesh. And you know what? It's true for you and I too. It's not more proof that we need that Jesus is who he says he is. We have all the proof we need. It's faith. 
It's a choice, a commitment. Do I really believe in the claims and the man of Jesus? And in fact, that's gonna be the only outline point that we shared this weekend. It's still the same reality today. You can't accept the claims of Jesus and not believe in the man. And you can't believe in the man of Jesus and not accept his claims. The first, accepting the claims of Jesus but not the man, that's a moralistic, ethical Christianity. But it's not an exclusive Christianity. Jesus is a good teacher. On the lines of Gandhi and Mother Teresa, he's the type of guy we should listen to. But he's not Lord. He's not who he said he was. Teacher, not savior. And the second, accepting the man of Jesus and not his claims, that's a moralistic ethical, or sorry, the first one's a moralistic ethical one. The second one is a cultural Christianity a pick and choose Christianity where Jesus might be my savior, but he's not Lord over my life. I still hold that spot. If your faith is simply a belief in the man and not allowing his claims to hold lordship over your life, it's why your faith is so disappointing. Because neither is actual faith. It's religion made on our terms. It's us trying to play God. And it's, it's what we see those in this account doing, determining what we will and will not accept, and ultimately what they deem as unacceptable about Jesus. And here's the thing, even after they issued their judgment on Jesus deserving death, Look at their very next actions. How godly does, do these religious leaders appear to be? Look at verse 65. What are they doing? Right after they condemn him as deserving death, they find themselves mocking and spitting and striking the man. Looks like they got acting classes from the Mel School of Acting. They're not doing a very good job playing God. Faith is taking what we receive from God's word about who Jesus is, taking it as it is. Accepting his claims and the man for who he really is. Which is also why it's so important for us to know why the 66 books of the Bible are the only divine authoritative books that tell us God's revelation to us. And for the skeptic in here, for the one that doubts the credibility of the 66 books of the Bible or the credibility of the historic man of Jesus, I need you to hear me carefully. It is more than welcome for you to do your own research. You don't have to take my word for it. Do your own research. Or better yet, piggyback on the research of people that set out to disprove Christianity. Two people independently, decades apart, a man named Lee Strobel and a man named C.S. Lewis. Both of them staunch atheists, ready to put this Christianity claim to bed once and for all. And so they set out to disprove the man of Christianity and the claims of Christianity, only to end up being two of the greatest defensemen for our faith. The only one to ever sufficiently and perfectly play God was Jesus because he was the real deal. 
No one who is not the real deal could sufficiently play God. As Tony Evans recently said, Jesus is who he is. He is not who you want him to be. And who he is, is the declared Messiah, the only son of God, the bringer of judgment for all who refuse and reject him, his message of salvation, because he is God himself. And his mission extending love and forgiveness and salvation is directly in front of him. And faith is either accepting the man and his claims or not. If I'm hanging perilously over a cliff and I I grab onto a rope, I don't debate whether I like that rope or whether I wish it was a better rope or a different color of of a rope or something that feels a little bit better in my hand. I either grab that rope for salvation just as it is, or I don't. It's the same with faith. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, one of the greatest books for the skeptic in your life or the skeptic in your mirror, said, you can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. A man that walks around making the claims that Jesus made is not a good teacher. He is wicked. He deserves utter rejection and humiliation making the claims that he made unless he really is who he says he is. I get it. People bristle at this kind of binary, exclusive Jesus for salvation or nothing else. It's what we've been doing all the way back since the Garden of Eden. We hear God's message. We hear the way God has given and designed an oriented life. And then we take it and go, did God really say Or we take it like most of us do and go, my will be done. It's been all of us ever since the beginning. So afraid of the people, the crowds, the public, willing to turn over one of their own Hebrew people, even over to the enemy Romans, with wickedness and rejection in their heart, a bunch of religious men working for the house of God reject him and everything he stood for. They tried to play God. Lord, may that never be the case with me. God, I pray that you would show me where and when and with whom I'm trying to play God. And we never claim to do this. We never have that kind of bravado, would we, that that I'm trying to play God here. But we do it all the time with one another in prejudice, in judgment. Here's here's a hint. If there's ever any mocking or the equivalent of, of spitting or delivering blows onto one another in our speech, it, it can start on social media. Certainly can happen there. But I wonder how many of us think that we're off the hook because when we gossip and we badmouth other, others and we talk about those people and we slander them, as long as we don't post it on social media, we're not accountable. No, whenever 
we are dealing with one another in a way that is unchristlike. It's showing how poor actors we are at actually playing God. We're presuming that we're the righteous dispensers of judgment. Man, if only people could see things the way I see them. Have you been there? We've all been there. We've all tried to play God. And as the book of James warns us, when we do that with one another, especially with our speech, we're only deceiving ourselves when we walk in any manner that is unchristlike. So there it is. There it always is. Look to Jesus. His is the message and the identity and the purpose that can change the world. That's where our hope is. That's where the kingdom is. Is there anywhere I need to accept the claims of Jesus more fully? Is there anywhere I need to dive more into this? Like Chris was talking about earlier, maybe in any of our connections, men's, women's, 20s and 30s, small groups, gathering together and engaging in the word of God to investigate and understand the claims of the Bible more clearly. Maybe you're in a connection group and, and you're not going through a study right now. That's great. Then you're, you're studying and you're reading the lives of people in the church. You're figuring out what Christian community is all about and that's good too. And hopefully at some point, whether in that group or another group or just in your home or someone that you invite alongside of you, you crack this open and you say, I want to know more about the claims of this man. Because accepting the man means accepting his claims. And accepting his claims means accepting the man. And lastly, is there anywhere I need to accept the man of Jesus more fully? Is Jesus allowed to be a good man? A good teacher? Maybe even savior in your life. But he's not Lord. I am concerned, not in judgment, I'm not a judge, but in compassion, I am concerned that there are far too many people in this world that allow Jesus just to be a good man, maybe even a great man, maybe even my savior, but he's only Lord when I need him. Help me, Lord. I got this cancer diagnosis. I got this relational struggle. I need finances to work out. Help me, Lord. And then if and when he does, whether he does, we decide he can go back into the box and I'll call on you when I need you again. That's not what you do with the Lord. If he is Lord, you love him. And God, help me love you more. If he's Lord, then you obey him. And God, help me obey you more. If he is Lord, then he has every facet of my life. I don't withhold anything from him. And God, help me submit to you every facet of my life. I'm like Peter. I'm not doing this perfectly. I need your help. I feel like the man that Jesus encountered back earlier in Mark's gospel, the father that proclaimed, I believe. Help my unbelief. Have you been there? We've all been there. Allow Jesus to be Lord and Savior. Is there anywhere I'm trying to play God? Is there anywhere I need to accept the claims of Jesus more fully? 
And is, the any, is there anywhere I need to accept the man of Jesus more fully? I'd love to lead us in prayer and reflection over that. That God, first and foremost, for, for any soul that right now finds themselves needing to accept the man of Jesus for salvation, who you are, something has stirred within them, something that has drawn them here together in person or online, and an encounter with the love and the grace and the forgiveness that you have given us, accepting us right where we are, has stirred in them a response to accept the gospel. I pray they would know they do not need to clean up their life to come to you. You accept them in grace. You accept all of us right where we are. And that's salvation. And I pray, God, for those of us that we know you as Savior. And yet, yeah, I admit there's parts of my life that you're not Lord of. I still am. Help us, God. Help us be people that submit more and more over to you. For you are Lord. Help us be people that, that encourage one another in that a, a come and see, taste and see kind of faith where we're just contagious, where we say, man, the love of God is just overflowing in my life. The more I surrender control to him, the more fulfilled, the more joyous. Me controlling my life doesn't work. Him controlling my life does. It's not rosy. It's not perfect. Sometimes it leads to suffering, but it's eternally true. Where else will we go? You have the words and the hope of eternal life. In your name, Jesus, we pray, amen. We hope you encountered the love and power of Jesus in today's service. If you're interested in giving, for joining serving opportunities and much more, visit timberlinechurch.org connect. Have a great week. Go be the church and let love live.